Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all of its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. I'm excited to preach this word this morning, and uh, and uh, I'm just, it's a very, very weird season, but I'm truly, I don't know, I feel like God is doing a lot, right? And uh, you, know, you, know, you know when you're in a transition period and things are weird? And your voice does weird stuff. I don't. I didn't mean to say it, but like when you're in a weird period, and but God is still like close to you in the middle of it. That's how I feel. The gospel's delicious right now. Is what I'm trying to say. People don't like when I use the word delicious, but I'm gonna use it delicious. All right. So we're gonna preach the gospel this morning. Y'all with that? Yeah. So I'm gonna tell you this. If you have a pen and paper, or you have your notes on your phone, or anything like that, I really want you to catch what I preach this morning. All right. So, like, set yourself up to, like, hear something and be like, let me, let me hit that down or whatever. Because I'm, I'm going to hit a few buttons or whatever. This is the way the Lord was pressing on me. And I'm doing um, the sermon title. Do we got the graphic up? Jesus and Justice. It's a gangster title. So I pray that God helps me deliver against the word. All right. Friend, y'all can hit the timer on me. I'm going to try to... Uh, do this before we start drinking sweating here this morning. All right. So I'm in Luke 11 this morning. I'm being Luke 11. I'm going verses 37 through 44. I'm going to hit you in the head with mad scriptures from other stuff or whatever because I want to really press the topic. And so I'm hitting this a little bit different because once, once so next week I'm preaching part two to Jesus and justice. But the way that I'm, can y'all hear me okay? Okay. The way that I'm going to actually roll into this this week is going to be a little bit different concerning the topic, but I want you to catch the weightiness of justice, and I want you to see Jesus' posture towards justice, and I'm going to slide up on it on, with a scripture that I didn't even think I was going to use or like that was, it just wasn't the direction I was originally going to go, but when I started reading, I was like, this is really good, and the church really needs to hear this, right? So... Let me go ahead and read the scripture, and then we'll start breaking it down. It's Luke 11, 37. It starts here. It says, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. That's our text for the day, right? Let me give you a little bit of idea who the Pharisees are, right? Or like try to make it plain to you. Because we hear this word all the time, and I don't think most people actually know. But um, if, you thought of, if you thought of in Jewish culture, most people are like regular Jews, and they understand the laws and everything else, whatever that goes with Jewish culture, the Pharisees would be like the liturgical people, like we're like, we're the real Jews. You get where I'm coming from? Y'all with me? So in America, you can look at it like this. We say that we are a Christian nation, right? But data tells us most people have no affiliation or connection to the church or Jesus at all, but we're a Christian nation. So, but like the Jews and the Pharisees, we have people that would slam their hand down and go, I'm a real Christian, and I know what it takes to be a real Christian, right? And we would say we're the good ones, like the Pharisees say they're the good ones. But we're going to see what happens when Jesus slides up to the table and starts dealing with them, right? Y'all with me so far? All right. So let's start with 37 and verse 38. Watch Jesus' posture in this conversation. It says, while Jesus was speaking, the Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in 
and reclined at the table. So he's at the table of the religious elite of that day. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not wash before dinner. This is important, right? Because when we're talking about the Pharisees, we're not talking about just a particular person. This is the embodiment of a ideology and a culture, right? This is a social construct of that day. It is the hyper-religious of that day. Y'all understand where I'm coming from? And so Jesus comes in and everybody's talking about Jesus and it's like, yo, we hear about this guy that heard he healed somebody. People saying that they think he might be God and it's all crazy. And so the Pharisee invites him over because he's like, yo, let's get homeboy to dinner and let's size him up real quick, right? Let's see if he's all like his holy and everything they keep saying or whatever. And so he shows up and the Pharisee, because he's, you know, liturgical, keeps the rules, traditions. He is a real, you know what I'm saying, godly person. And he's like, this dude don't even wash his hands before he eat. You get where I'm coming from? So he's disgusted. And you have to understand how serious they were or whatever because they were like, this was their religious custom, right? And they don't even realize they're standing before God. But like, this is what, like, they would come in and before they eat, they would like do this thing. They would wash their hands. They go from the tip of their fingers to the back. Then they wash them like this. Then they go to the front, right? And, and, and the most serious, if you really, really bout it, if you're a real Pharisee, you may even do it between every single dish, like when you're eating, right? right? Get some broccoli, you do the hand wash. Bring out a little, 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 um, little you know, ribeye, which my wife made me last night. Boom. And then you hit the hands, whatever. I ain't washing my hands doing none of it, right? But like this was serious for them. Like history even tells us that there was a Pharisee that was jailed by Romans and he had a ration of water every single day for him to drink. And instead of drinking it, he would actually wash his hands with it and he almost died of like thirst, right? Like, you, but they made him a hero. Like he's like, you know, a saint for that. You get where I'm coming from? They're ultra, hyper-religious. Hyper-religious. So that's what Jesus is sitting at the table in front of. So he says... Verse 37, I just want to, verse 38, I just want to read that. So it says, the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And verse 39 goes on to say, I'm going to do 39 and 40, it says, and the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Pharisees, plural, right? You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? That's a pretty gangster statement to be invited to dinner, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't know about you, but when I go to drive-thrus, I don't mistreat people because I just feel like they're going to put a burger inside of my burger or whatever. I just, I don't, I'm not talking crazy to you at all, right? I don't want that kind of, kind of issues in my life or whatever, right? And so Jesus doesn't pull any punches. Straight off the bat, homie, y'all wash the outside of the cup, but you don't deal with the inside. Y'all with me? I'm going to be honest. This, where he goes next with this surprises me. Verse 41, he says, but you give as, he said, but give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you, right? So 40 says, you fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? He said, you, you wash the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. He's speaking plurally, so he is talking about a hyper-religious culture, where y'all have the posture of, you know how to dress up real churchy, you know how to make it look real good, you know how to say all of the right words, and on the outside, you've made a culture of what it looks looks like to actually play the part, but inside, you're disgusting and filthy. Y'all with me so far? This is the religious folks of the day. These are the real ones right here he's talking to. They're they the, real, they the real deal in the streets. That's the word, that they're really the followers. They're really the godly folks, but Jesus is doing a sweep the leg Johnny on them, right? But his counterstatement, but give us alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean to you? I'm going to give you another translation. The New Living Translation says this. So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor and you will be clean all over. The uh, NIV says, but now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean 
for you. Do you not think in the middle of this context that that's a crazy jump? That he goes from confronting their hyper-religiousness, their cultural piety, and his next statement is, you need to give to the poor. From inside of you, when he makes this statement, when you see that in the NIV, he says, but now ask for what is inside you. Be generous to the poor. Let me tell you what Jesus is not saying here. Jesus is not saying that your salvation is in you giving to the poor. I want you to understand that, right? Y'all with me so far? That's not what he's saying. But in the NIV, when you says, but now ask for what is inside of you, be generous to the poor, he's saying that the wellspring that comes out of you when you actually know the Lord is generosity to the least of these. Do you understand? He's talking about the fruit. He's not talking about if you do this, then you'll know me, right? He's saying you don't know me because this is not a fruit of the Spirit. You understand what I'm saying? So there's a little missing part in there. I don't want you to get it wrong. We are not saying the gospel is giving away goods. You understand? But he's sizing them up because their culture is greed. You understand? Y'all with me so far? He is making the point that their fruit isn't fruit, and there's something wrong when people who claim to be of his kingdom yet have a theology that makes war against, against sacrificial love for the least. Let me, from a theological standpoint, break that down for you. It's, I said, yet have a theologi- the, uh, theology that makes war against sacrificial love to the least, right? So let's talk about it real quick. Well, like, what is the gospel, right? Let's talk about the kingdom of God. Just think about this for a minute, right? When Jesus came walking the earth, he was proclaiming the kingdom and giving a foreshadowing of the kingdom, right? He's talking about what the kingdom is going to be like. Who are the children of God? Like, that we are going to actually rule and reign with him. It says, every tear, all pain, justice will flow like a mighty river. No more sin, not even a grain of sand worth of sin will penetrate this new kingdom of heaven because that is all it takes to corrupt like a plague. All sin must cease to exist before his holy throne. Righteousness will rule. Light will overrun all darkness. And guess what? Not one single person who enters into God's kingdom will deserve to be there. Not one single one. Do you understand? Not one single one will deserve to be there. That's the, that's the, that's the, the, the construct in heaven, and it's the construct on earth also. It's the construct on earth also. See, the Pharisees, like many of God's people, subscribed and perpetuated and upheld a system that was contrary to the heart of God, and it esteemed piety, self-righteousness, and boast culture. So when they were representing themselves as godly, they forgot that they were saved by grace. Do you understand where I'm coming from? If you forget the gospel... You take it and you use it and abuse it and you get cute with it. But if you remember the gospel, it sanctifies you. And instead of climbing up the chart getting high, it actually breaks you down lower and lower and lower. Do you understand? His marvelous light makes us rich in him but very poor in ourselves. You get where I'm coming from? Can I read a scripture to you? Can I read a scripture to you? This is Ephesians, right? I think it's two. I didn't even put it on here, but it says, I think it's Ephesians two. But it says, but God, being rich in mercy, meaning rich in something that we don't deserve, mercy, right? Because of the great love, so he loves us, which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. Did you catch that? God loves the walking dead. Dead. You ever met somebody in this situation looks so dismal and so broken that you just like, man, they, you just go into critiquing them and why you should stay the heck away from them. You ever do that? I do it. I do it. I was mad at somebody this weekend or whatever, and I was just like, I couldn't believe a decision they made. I was like, 
I, I, I'm so tired. Of, I, I, we didn't like help too much. I'm done. Like, I was mad. And I got convicted about it later. Because God was like, Dad, boy, you, you sure sound rich out here, Jay. You forgot what a freaking mess you were when you used to call me and be like, God save me, I'm suffocating. While you were still running around robbing, stealing, doing dirt. You, did you forget that I pulled up on you and you were stranded? But now, the mess is a nuisance for you. Do you get where I'm coming from? God, if we're going to be like him, he loves the walking dead. Have nothing to give you. Will wreck everything you helped him with. Every single thing. Like us. Like all of us. Nothing to offer for our salvation. Only rich in mercy. It's a gift from God. Let me keep moving. It says it made, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared for him that we should walk in them Jesus was disgusted with them because they had created a culture that boasts. It was a culture that was built around their righteousness. It was a culture that propped them up like we are the ones who are doing it right and the rest of y'all are failing and you are gross and everything else or whatever and we wouldn't touch you with a 10-foot pole because we are so holy. And Jesus hated it. So you hit them right where it hurts. They're disgust with the poor. The neglect of the poor. Because Jesus loves the walking dead. He loves the poor. He, beyond just the idea of economically poor, but poor, like nothing to give kind of people, right? Like, worse than whatever we have, in, whatever ideology we have for the idea of poor, right? It's monetary, it's physical, it's most definitely class-wise. Most definitely with the ability to pull oneself out of a hole. But that's who Jesus loves. So he loves. The Pharisees said they were for him, but they built a whole nother model. Y'all get where I'm coming from? Maybe y'all think I'm playing a little bit. I'm going to run into another scripture real fast so you can get the point. Because when you leave today, I want you to look at the American church. I want you to look at our church. And I want you to be mad at some things about it. Do you understand? We're not perfect. We need sanctification like anybody else. But if we are the church, then we all need individual sanctification. And you have to go home and let it hurt a little bit. Matthew 25 says this right here. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, y'all listen right here, right? Come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see a stranger and welcome you or, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and, prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Sounds like Jesus sees himself as the least of these. Y'all with me so far? Once again, this is not a prescription for the works you go do to get to heaven. I just read in Ephesians, we are saved by grace. He's talking about when he looks down and he, you know, remember in the scripture when he says, you will know a tree by its fruit, right? He's looking at their fruit to see if they're one of the trees that belong to him. Do you understand? I don't want you to walk away going, I need to work hard at this. 
This is not about you going to do something different. This is about a heart change. This is about you making war with Pharisee culture in America. This is about you holding this church accountable to not be like Pharisees, to not talk it, to, to do it in word, but not do it in deed. Do you get where I'm coming from? The Bible says we live in word and in deed. A lot of people have used the word and they preach it so precisely. We go, ooh, that's that good old gospel. And it's really, really good and everything else. But they've learned how to maneuver it to make a platform, to make a system that makes money for them, to save a whole bunch, sell a bunch of books, which I have no problem with people selling books. But I'm just saying they have no idea what it is to move in deed, or even what God's heart is and for the deeds or what they actually are. God would sit before them. Jesus would sit before them, and he would do them just like a, a lot of Pharisees. And a lot of people I'm talking about are our heroes of the faith. But they need to be, we need to go over their house and do a Jesus on them, like homie. You got the cup clean on the outside, B, but it's a booger on the inside. You feel me? That joint just connected with earlier when I said the booger thing, I had to bring it back. Y'all don't even, don't even thinking early. I have hit it. You know what I'm saying? That wasn't in the sermon. That was freestyle. All right, anyway. Let me keep reading this so you can get the point. I want you to get the point because American Christian culture has 100% missed this as we sit and make war against critical race theory and ideas of justice and wrap everybody into this idea of socialism, which nobody gives a crap about, but we really are talking about people who need justice, right? I spent my day this week or whatever writing up a document for the EOC for my friend who was, was charged with attempted murder on two police officers 40 years ago, and it was a lie. So much it was a lie that when he went to court, the judge went off on the police officers. My friend just lost the best job he had because they pulled up the case and then he presented the paperwork that said he was free and they said that's not enough. You understand? Most Christians don't think that kind of work is even of God. But I'll go against anybody with this word that God thinks that serving that brother is what we should do with our time. It's not this other thing, right? When I say Jesus and justice, and for all y'all who know about Jesus um, plus nothing equals everything, if you've read that book before, which I love the book or whatever, I'm not saying Jesus and justice means salvation. Jesus is the savior of the whole entire world. But Jesus, when he cracks open his heart with mercy, it flows out a river of justice. And you cannot dispute that anybody in the Bible who tries to make that case is lying. Let me finish the rest of the scripture so you know what I'm talking about. He says, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, this is for the people who think this is a joke. He says, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not to do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment for the righteous into eternal life. You think God is playing? Who wants to make a case against God wanting us to posture our bodies, our finances, our time, our resources towards loving the poor? Church is not pulling up to a building on Sunday. It's every single day of the week, right? Our whole construct is off. It's all, it's all. It's off, and America's staring at it right now and is disgusted with it, right? I mean, go into one of these conferences for one of these denominations right now. You'll go off and skydive off the side of a building. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. God takes matters of justice personal because in man's corrupt justice system, the poor who are get, the ones who get eaten alive, and based on the scripture, Christ sees himself as poor. He identifies as poor. There you go. That's what he identifies. He just said it right out of his red letters. Boom, there you go. He said it. When you walk past him, you walk past me. 
So if that's the truth, what does our, 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 our construct look like as believers? What is the church supposed to embody? What is it functionally supposed to actually do? It's very much not like what we've been doing, right? Christ. Let me get theological on you real quick. Because I sit and listen to all these hyper-theology people, whatever, sounding like fools all the time, making cases, writing long documents, doing everything they can to trample on the poor in the name of the Jesus. That's what's floating around the internet all day long. And they love to use big words like incarnation and all kind of deeply reformed and theological words or whatever, but like they don't even know what they're talking about, right? Jesus came from a height unimaginable, filled with splendor, divinely fit for a creator. To earth, a dump running rampant with evil. So much so, Romans 8 says, even the earth groans for him to return. The earth is literally groaning because of sin running rampant. And then when he comes, he doesn't set himself up on earth with status. He sets him up himself as one of the hunted, one of the hated, one of the poor. He's born in a manger, right? He has no tomb to go to. Somebody gives him a tomb, right? Y'all with me so far? Let me, hear, let, me, let me get theological for you, right? Let me show you. The Bible talks about, incar- like, like people use this term incarnation, and it's the Christian belief that God took human form by becoming Jesus. People always like, you know, you'll hear people preach like this. They're like, God, you know, and his humility came from heaven and from his mighty throne, and he, and he came down and he became a human, put on this dirty flesh. You've heard me say it before, and I stand by it. Problem is, People like, when they brought him down to earth, they brought him and they just stopped it right here. They took a picture and drew him. They was like, yo, we're going to get blonde hair, blue eyes. He's going to look like, man, we're going to have him look like Brad Pitt back in the day. You know what I'm saying? When he was with girlfriend. What was his girlfriend back in the day? Was it, who was it? No, no, not Jolie, before her. Y'all ain't keeping up, man. No, no, no. What's the first one? She was on Friends. Jennifer Aniston, that's who I like. That's who I, that's who I liked them with personally. I'm sorry, this, we were getting into E and entertainment and all that. But like, that's who I liked them with. I'm sorry, I got to tell you. Like, I ain't like with Angelina Jolie. I just, you know, I, he, he was better with, anyway. So anyway, we took him. Made him like the Brad Pitt. Just love this guy, he's awesome. Even though we know he comes from a country with dark skin, right? But we're going to make him look like Brad Pitt because it works for us. If that doesn't give you clues about where we're at with it, then you get where I'm coming from. You made him a superstar. Made him marketable. Made him so we could actually build product around him and get money. You understand? We extracted all the great words. We're like, yo, we're going to build curriculums out of this. We're going to make this thing pop. We're going to get it. We missed it. Because he didn't come to earth And that's where he stopped at. He came and he came to the bottom. He came to be born inside of a farm with animals around him. He came to be on the run because people wanted him dead. Right? Matthew 8, 19 through 12 says, And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. People forget what incarnation really means. Don't listen to these people talk this crazy stuff. Jesus looked like more like the people we disdain, right? Let me beat you in the head with a little bit more because I want you to get it. I'm going to read Isaiah 53 for you. It says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So he didn't come here looking cute. He wasn't nothing like a model. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. That's the real Jesus of the Bible. That's what the real character make up. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. In other words, he's so broken. We're too cute for him. And we're lying to ourselves if we think we just love the Lord so much. That is a gift from God if you actually love the Lord so much. That's a gift. That's not your makeup. That's his makeup. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Jesus really knows injustice. That's why as a high priest, he understands our infirmities and what we battle, and he prays and intercedes for us. But don't get it twisted. He understands injustice. He is the epitome of what the word, it doesn't mean anything without him. And as for this generation, his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in, rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was put, he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of anguish, his, his soul shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide with him a portion with the many, and his, he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out of his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, transgressors yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors, for the walking dead. Y'all with me? Y'all still awake? I read that scripture and I read the whole thing because it's just a smack in the face like when I start trying to make Jesus like some kind of marketable superstar. It just brings it back to reality what it really is and what we really are, right? Jesus, God is sanctifying us to be more like Jesus. If incarnation is true for us, then it means that, like, he increases and we decrease, right? It's a decrease. Verse 42 says this. says, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb. And what is this, what is this doing in here? Look at this. And neglect justice and the love of God. All our scholars of the day tell you justice is a bunch of bullcrap. But here Jesus is in the Bible confronting the scholars of the day about their neglect of justice. Seems our scholars just happen to miss this scripture, huh? And neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. What God is saying to him is that, hey, I'm not tripping over it's not that it's a bad thing that you would look at what you have and be meticulous because these people would get as serious as counting the actual seeds out of their garden to make sure that they actually gave a specific tenth. They were crazy with it, just like you're crazy when you wash your hands between every single deal or whatever. That's a little bit wild or whatever, right? I'm sorry if anybody does that. It's okay. Anyway, but he's like, cool. If you're serious about your tenth, do what you do. But don't walk around like you want to mind when you neglect justice and the love of God. This is no longer about your faith in God anymore. This is only about you and your self-righteousness. Do y'all get, get the translation? But it's so crazy that in this conversation that he hits justice. Because in America today, inside of the Christian church, 
This is something to be speared, smattered, splattered around. And for some people, it's one of the biggest threats to the Christian faith. Does it look like Jesus thinks it's a threat to you? Does it look like a threat? This is the word of God. His critique is that you neglect justice and the love of God. Once again, it's not a prescription for salvation, but he's most definitely sizing up their fruit. Homie, you don't know me. You don't know me, and you don't move like me because I move like justice. Y'all believe me. Let me give you another scripture real quick. Y'all ready? Psalm 146. This is talking about the character of God. Praise ye Jah. Praise, O my soul, Jehovah. I praise Jehovah during my life. I sing praise to God while I exist. Trust not in princes and a son of man, for he hath no deliverance. His spirit goeth forth, he returneth to the earth, and that day have his, thought, have his thoughts perish. Mankind is going to run you to the side and they're going to die and it's over. But it says in verse 5, O oh, the happiness of him who hath the God of Jacob for his help. His hope is on Jehovah, his God. Making the heavens and earth, the sea and all that is in them. Now listen to this when he starts to describe God here. Who is keeping truth to the age, doing judgment for the oppressed, giving bread to the hungry. Jehovah is loosing the prisoners. Jehovah is opening the eyes of the blind. Jehovah is raising the bow down. Jehovah is loving the righteous. Jehovah is preserving the strangers, the fatherless and widow he causeth to stand in the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. This is specific, specific, right? It's specific because even when we talk about the way Christians have treated immigrants in this country, right? When he says right here, Jehovah is preserving the strangers, he's talking about immigrants in their land. God is not just saying, I'm good to my people and the people of God who occupy this land. He's saying, I'm good to the actual foreigner that comes inside of our land. Instead of dreaming of how to keep the foreigner out, actually dream about how to systematically make a way to take care and love the foreigner. Or maybe you think I'm just talking out loud. I don't have this text in front of me. I'm taking a rabbit trail. But you can just go back to the Old Testament. If somebody knows the verse or whatever, you can see how Jesus, how, how God, excuse me, God's economic construct was that he told people, listen, don't harvest your whole entire land. Leave it. Leave whatever's on the ground. Leave it for the widow. Leave it for the fatherless. Leave it for the foreigner. He built it into their system. We don't take everything. We're not snatching up all of the money because we realize there's people with circumstances, they're going to flee to us, and we're going to actually build systems that actually love them. That's biblical. So for all our scholars that we need to smack backwards and forwards off of the podium today that represent America, and they're the Pharisees of America and telling us what the heart of God is, they're liars, and the Bible says it. They're liars, and the Bible says it, right? It's built in the construct. It's already there. That's how God dreams. That's how he thinks. When they hear about how we love each other, they're going to be coming. Make sure they get fed. Don't let it be said that the widow doesn't get fed. Don't let it be said that the stranger, the foreigner, does not have food here. If they have a problem, we'll deal with them. But on the flip side of that, they're humans. They get the same kind of mercy. God loves walking dead people. You get where I'm coming from? It's all inside of there, giving bread to the hungry. Once again, it's not a prescription for salvation. It's the fruit of salvation. It's when, when God looks down and he looks at the trees, I know that tree by the fruit. God is also a merciful God. I don't read this and go, Dag, Jay, you're on the right side of this. I don't read this and think our church is on the right side of this. I don't feel condemned by it. I feel convicted by it, and I feel like, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Lord, so much for pointing this out in the scriptures because you ain't going to leave me stuck here and you sanctify me. I don't feel like he's saying, Jay, you ain't doing enough. I'm kicking you out of my family. 
get your stuff together and come back, I feel like he chastises those he loves, like he says in the scripture. I want you to know that, because I, 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 I want you to take this to heart, and, and I'm not asking you to do something different. God is not asking me to do something different. He's trying to do something to my heart, and it's going to cause something different. It's going to cause the church to be different. It's going to cause things to be different. But the first stop is not, well, how do we get to work? How do we fix this? How do I start doing all those things he said in the scripture better? You start believing the gospel more. What are you saying, John? Lord, what work, what, what work must we do? Believe the gospel. The gospel perpetuates godly work. So Psalms 146, he lays it out. He goes a step further than just saying, love thy neighbor. Because many of us are more sinful than even the lawyer inside of the uh, Good Samaritan story because we won't even stop to even ask God, who is my neighbor? Because we don't want to hear the answer. We're more sinful than him. He was looking to justify himself. Our American self-righteousness and what we've done in America, we don't even stop to ask Jesus. We think we just, we just think we got it like that. So we just decide who the neighbor is and don't really care about what God says. And, and, and we put Jesus all over it. And we'll rewrite them and remold them into what we feel, right? Martin Luther King, actually, you know, this slide right here, right? I used this slide, this picture when I was making that graphic, and it's actually from a, uh, it's from a protest at the University of Wisconsin. It was uh, 1969, so like about 50 years ago, right? And I was just looking for pictures, and I started getting into the story, and it was a protest on campus. But when I saw it, I was like, man, this looked like it could have been just shot last week. It's 50 years old. Those people, if they're still alive, are probably in their 70s or 80s right now. Students. It's called, it was dubbed the Black Student Strike. They had 13 demands that they wanted the leadership in their school to get. I think that they were gassed, brutalized in the process, and I just felt compelled to use this graphic. But when I, when I, when I looked at it and I read the story, I kept thinking to myself, where were, where were God's people at? Where were we at in the conversation? I'm asking you, but most of y'all actually know what the answer is. It's where we're always at. We're tucked into our piety somewhere. We were chilling wherever the Pharisees would have been at. We were right there chilling with them. That's what it's always been the narrative. We can go back another 50 years and find a picture of the same exact thing. Right? Martin Luther King said this. He said, I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride towards freedom, listen to this, it's not the white citizen counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Did y'all catch that? The conversation is not really about race. That's not the pinnacle of it. It's about justice. But we got to be honest in America right now with what we have going on concerning race dynamics. This is important for everybody in here to land it on their lap. If you are a white Christian and you take this sermon and the words I'm preaching concerning justice, you have to ask yourself, where do you fall? Are you a moderate that contributes something based on MLK who has all the scars to prove it, blowing up house to prove it, dead, four dead girls in a church proximity to prove it, dead friends, right, to prove it. If anybody can say it the way it was said, I just quoted it, he can say it, right? But we have to ask, are you the moderate? 
Are you the moderate? The same way I have to ask if I'm the Pharisee. Am I, am I the moderate Christian that, is to a, at a, that causes a detriment to the faith actually going forward? Am I the, the, the block in the river that stops justice from flowing like a river? Do I actually block the gospel, the good news, from being good news? I'm challenging you. What kind of Christian do you want to be? Do you want to be culturally drunk off of what somebody says it is, or do you want to look at the Scripture and actually go, God, my heart is pricked. Help me. I'm, I'm off. I'll say it first. I'm off. I'm your pastor. I'm off. I don't like what I, I come up with. People will run around and be like, Jay, you a hero. You be doing this. You be at the jail and everything else. It's not cute. It's not even close to what it should be. Do you understand? I'm off. And I'm glad, like I told you, God has confronted my heart. Y'all are my church. Y'all are my people. You're my friends. I want you to come on the journey. Because at some point, it's going to be too weird for us to stand with each other. Do you understand? And so we all have to look at this is the word of God. I ain't feeding you Jay's new idea, Jay's new concept. I'm preaching the word of God to you. Y'all get where I'm coming from? Verse 43 says this. It says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Now Jesus is going straight back to their culture. It's like this is what your culture, this is what you're really drunk off of. You don't love God and you don't love justice. This is what you love, though. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Let me explain to you what he's actually saying right there. The Jews believe that if you walked over a grave, even if you didn't know it, you were cursed. And they actually had a ritual where you would have to like cleanse for like seven days if you touch anything dead or a grave or anything like that. So what Jesus is saying to them, remember, he's sitting inside a Pharisee's house, eating the Pharisee's ribeye while he gives him the business, right? He's in there and he's like, he's like, you know, you know how people be eating, they be like, yeah, man, so you know. You, he's doing that, right? He is giving him the business while he is eating up in his house. And he's like, yo, you are like unmarked graves and people. And he's not talking to just the Pharisee because it's plural. He's talking to their whole culture. You're like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing. He's saying when anybody comes near this thing you have set up, they become just like you. You curse them. You read more inside of the text and he says, you literally have blocked up the windows to heaven and you've withheld the key of knowledge because you've laden people with these burdens of like washing your hands and doing this and that. You don't even love God and you don't even do justice. Those are the dynamics he uses to size them up. Nobody should take that lightly. You don't love the <laughs> give to the poor and you don't do justice. That's what arrives in this text when he's sizing them up. So what arrives in Matthew, you fed me when you fed the poor, when you gave to the hungry. When I was naked, that was me. Jesus is like, that's me. That's who I am. You want to talk about incarnation and becoming sanctified more like Jesus? People don't want to have that conversation. They want Brad Pitt, Jesus. I'll take his abs, but like, I'm just saying, that's all. I'm going to read it to you one more time as we get ready to close up. what he's saying about these Pharisees. If you take this word with you this week and you start hearing what I said to you and you start looking around, this is cultural Christianity, American Christianity to the T. Now, I said this to you earlier, I'm gonna say it again. The Pharisees, like many of God's people, subscribed, perpetuated, upheld a system that was contrary to the heart of God and it esteemed piety, self-righteousness, and boast culture. I want God to divorce me from that. I want to get a million miles away from that. I want to get, I don't want my heart to be like that. I don't want to uphold a system that actually stomps on the poor, the least of these people who this world doesn't dignify, but Jesus is. 
I want to be sanctified to be like the real Jesus, not fake Hollywood Jesus. So what does it look like for you? Where do you stand? Have you walked? Have you, have you, have you, have you missed the true Jesus of the Bible? Have you drunk the cultural Christian Kool-Aid? Did you miss how God esteems and loves the poor? Did you miss that you are poor, that you are dead in your trespasses, and that God in his grace and mercy saved you despite your sin? Have you forgot that part and how it informs the way we move, talk, breathe, function? Have you forgot it? Have, did you leave that part behind and run off doing the Christian thing and culturally it looks good to everybody because the outside of the cup is clean, but the inside is wretched because we didn't left Jesus in the dust. We didn't forgot about grace and mercy. Have you forgot that God loves the walking dead? If so, I have good news. God saves us in our sin. He redeems us. He chastises his children that he loves. If your heart feels pricked and you're contending with this, even if it's raging in a way where you're like, man, I'm not feeling that and it's bothering you or anything like that, that's okay because God will wrestle you. He'll wrestle you. He'll confront you, but he won't leave you. You understand? He won't leave you. like Zacchaeus, a thieving, low-down crook. He received the good news of Jesus, that he could be redeemed today, and he placed his faith in Christ Jesus. And the fruit of him knowing Jesus was that he turned around and he took his resources, all of his greed. He got flipped that day. He went from greedy and gross and disgusting and, and, and the people having disdain because he pillaged them to, to he spit up all of that and said, God, I'm giving back four times what I took. Giving back. So I'm going to leave you with that today. That's my word for today. That's Jesus and the justice. They're not equal. Justice is his. He owns it. He has the patent on it. And it's what flows out of his heart of mercy and grace. It's what he wants his people to live like. He wants them walk around perpetuating justice in all the broken places of the earth and redeeming what is broke. Where wicked rules and reigns, he wants the people of God shouting it down. So we're not going to take communion today. Um, Elder Tony's going to come up and pray us out, but I just want to leave you with with that word, um, and y'all are free to hit me up and talk to me about it, or if you have questions or anything like that, or even just to express to me, like, man, that really touched my heart or it's challenging me this way, y'all know I'm accessible. Just hit me up or whatever. Just holler at me. And so I know most of y'all in here or whatever, so I believe everybody here knows Jesus, but if somebody here doesn't, or if somebody's like, That's, that, that scripture made me feel like I need to meet the Lord again, just come grab me and we can pray and deal with it, all right? So I love y'all. I appreciate y'all.